great way to uh, start our study as we return to the Beatitudes this morning, Matthew chapter 5, our new sermon series, Jesus People, looking at our Savior and Master's teachings in the Sermon on the Mount. This morning we find ourselves in the third of the eight Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. We've been looking at these Beatitudes the last couple of weeks, these essential character traits of the follower of Jesus Christ. Again, these aren't character traits that we can manufacture, that we can drum up in our own efforts, by our own good deeds, good works, good will. These are purely the result of God's amazing grace in his life and the work of the Holy Spirit producing these characteristics in our lives. And so when we talk about the Beatitudes, Beatitudes. We're talking about the, the blessings that come when God's favor smiles upon us. And we've seen already in the first couple of weeks that, that this blessing from the Lord, this divine favor comes to those who are poor in spirit, to those who recognize their sin and their depravity and their absolute need for God, that there is nothing in us of ourselves that we have to bring to the table, that we have to offer God to, to prove our worthiness to him in any way. We cannot do that and so we recognize our poverty of spirit and then we mourn over the reality of our sin after we recognize just how desperately we need God and his amazing grace that overflows into to mourning to sorrow to to weeping over our sin and now today we come to the third beatitude the the beatitude that flows out of this poverty of spirit this mourning of sin if you have your Bibles I want to encourage you to turn to Matthew 5 we're going to be in verses 1 through 5 this morning as we look to this third beatitude. Jesus, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just pray that as we look to your word this morning, as we look to our master's teachings, that we might come to this particular teaching, Lord, with a humble heart, that you might show us what it is to, to walk and live in the way of Jesus, in the way of meekness. And so, Lord, we just pray that your spirit would, would use this time in a powerful way in our lives. We, we commit this time to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, let me ask you a question this morning. What do you think of when you hear the word meek? What comes to mind? If we were to look up our contemporary definitions of the word meekness in the dictionary, you would find definitions such as these. For example, dictionary.com defines meek as docile, overly compliant, spiritless, yielding, or tame. If we went to Merriam-Webster, we would read that meek means mild, Deficient in courage, submissive, and weak. These are our contemporary definitions of the word meek. It reminds me of a story I read recently in the Daily Bread devotional. Uh, a man by the name of J. Upton Dixon had founded a group for submissive people. It was called Doormats. Doormats was an acronym. It stood for Dependent Organization of Really Meek and Timid Souls. Their motto 
was the meek shall inherit the earth. If that's okay with everybody. <laughs> the group's symbol was a yellow traffic light. And at the time of the group's founding, Mr. Dixon was working on a book titled Cower Power. These are some of the ideas our world has when it comes to the term meek. For those of you who are football fans, you may remember a number of years ago when Coach Mike Singletary of the 49ers raised some eyebrows when he described his starting quarterback, Alex Smith, as meek. Singletary said, Alex is such a humble guy, a meek guy. He's the guy who doesn't want to cause any problems. To me, he doesn't have the typical mentality of a quarterback, which is, this is what I want. He's not like that. I think that's his mentality, and that's been great. We love that, but come on. Be the guy who says, this is what I want. No, friends, meek doesn't exactly carry positive connotations in our culture today. Our world celebrates the strong, the bold, the decisive, we want our politicians to be charismatic, our quarterbacks to be brash, and our movie stars to be daring. Meekness is hardly a character trait that anyone thinks to put on their resume. And yet, Jesus says, blessed are the meek. Now you might be thinking this morning, Pastor Jason, I know you said this sermon series was all about the upside-down kingdom of God, but come on. Is this really what Jesus meant? Blessed are the docile, the deficient in courage, the weak? Friends, the answer to that question is absolutely not. In fact, all we need to do is consider Jesus himself or the Apostle Peter or the Apostle Paul or any of the other great heroes of the faith to recognize that these people were hardly weak or deficient in courage or cowardly. When we come to these examples, when we look to the scriptures, it quickly becomes apparent that our contemporary definitions of the word meek are very different from what God has in mind when he says, blessed are the meek. So what exactly did Jesus mean? What exactly does he mean when he says to his disciples, blessed are the meek? Well, we need to consider three truths about our master's statement this morning. Three truths about the blessed meek. The first of these truths is this. The meek are not weak. Okay, understand that first and foremost. The meek are not weak. You see, our contemporary definitions of the term meek or meekness have really strayed from what the historical, especially the biblical language meant when it described the meek person. When we do a study of the, the ancient Greek or the ancient Hebrew, we come to see that, that these words in the biblical connotation, the words meek or meekness, meant something very different. The, the word meek in the Greek is praus or prautes. In the Hebrew, it's anav. And these words in Scripture have three primary connotations. 
The first of these connotations is that the meek person is someone who has a total lack of self-pride or self-centeredness. A lack of self-pride and self-centeredness. You see, the meek person is the person who recognizes their position before God. The meek person is the one who recognizes their poverty of spirit. They they recognize that, that they have nothing of worth to offer a perfect, righteous, holy God. And so they understand their posture, their position before God. And they submit to God in humility, recognizing that it's only because of his amazing grace that we have any hope. And so when the meek person recognizes their posture before God, what happens then is they end up finding their worth and their approval in God. They come to recognize that, that our self-esteem and our worth isn't based on what others think about us or, or what we do in this world or how much fame we get or power we get or money we get. The, the meek person comes to recognize that our worth and our approval is based solely upon what God thinks about us. It's based upon the applause of heaven. It's based upon God's gracious favor smiling down upon us. It's like A.W. Tozer once said about the meek person. Tozer says the meek man is not a human mouse afflicted with a sense of his own inferiority. Rather, he may be in his moral life as bold as a lion and as strong as Samson, but he has stopped being fooled about himself. He has accepted God's estimate of his own life. He knows he is weak and helpless as God declared him to be. But paradoxically, he knows at the same time that he is, in the sight of God, more important than angels. In him, nothing. In God, everything. That is his motto. Friends, the weak person comes to recognize that in and of themselves, they are nothing. That they are absolutely and wholly dependent on God in his amazing grace. And they find their worth and their value and their meaning and their purpose in a relationship with their creator God, their father in heaven who says, you are my beloved child. And that produces this posture of humility, of meekness, a lack of self-pride, a lack of self-centeredness. Furthermore, because they found their acceptance in Christ, Friends, understand this is so significant for us. Because we recognize who we are in Christ, that our worth comes from him, what that does is it frees us. It frees the meek person to fearlessly love and serve others without fear of worldly scorn or worldly reprisals. You see, I don't care what the world thinks about me if I hang out with that person. I don't care what they say or if they laugh at me if, I, if I'm associating with, with the least of these in our world. I don't care if because I shun fame and fortune and money and power that the world thinks I'm a fool because I'm not living for the applause of the world. I'm living for the applause of heaven. And so the meek experiences this great freedom to love and serve others. One of my favorite illustrations of this, one of my personal heroes of the faith is a a man by the name of William Whiting Borden. William Borden was born into the the Borden family, a a wealthy aristocracy uh, around the turn of the century between the 19th and 20th centuries. 
You might know the, the name Borden from Borden Dairy, the Borden milk products. Borden is, uh, had, had the patents for many indu famous industrial products, crazy glue. I mean, a, a wealthy family, a company that at its peak was worth over a billion dollars. And William Borden was the heir to this company. William Borden, when he was a young man, felt a call to serve in Christian missions. He, he felt called to go to China and serve the Muslims in China, the Uyghur people of China that we still hear about in the news so often today. And he felt this compulsion that somebody needed to bring them the gospel. And, and so he shared with his friends and his family that, that he was going to go to Yale University and, and prepare and study to go into Christian missions. And his friends said, William, you're a fool. You're a fool. You're giving up all your wealth, all your privilege. You're going you're gonna to move to China? Are you kidding me? And Borden, in the cover of his Bible, wrote these words, no reserves, no reserves. He went to Yale University where he studied and prepared, and his biography is incredible. His time at Yale over those four years, he, he, he brought the campus of Yale this, this true spiritual revival, a spiritual awakening. By the time of his senior year, he had led hundreds of his fellow students to Christ. A, a thousand of the 1,300 students in Yale because of Borden's influence were meeting daily for Bible study and prayer. I mean, it was this incredible influence that this man had during his time at the university there. At the end of his studies, Borden's father came to him and said, all right, William, it's time to come and work in the company, the family business. And Borden said, Dad, I need to go to China. God's called me to serve the Muslims of China. And Borden's dad said, if you do this, if you, re if you leave and you go do this, you are never welcome back in our family. You are never welcome back in our company. You're giving up millions of dollars. And Borden said, Dad, I'm following the call of God. And he wrote in the cover of his Bible, no retreats. After finishing his degree at Yale at 25 years old, he traveled to Cairo, Egypt to study Arabic so that he could be prepared to, to go and minister to the Muslims in China. Only a, a month into his time in Cairo, Egypt, he came down with spinal meningitis. He passed away at 25 years old. When news of Borden's passing reached back into America, it made headlines around the nation. His biographer, let me share this quote from his biographer. When the death of William Whitting Borden was cabled from Egypt, it seemed as though a wave of sorrow went around the world. Borden not only gave his wealth, but himself in a way so joyous and natural that it was manifestly a privilege rather than a sacrifice. When his mom traveled to Cairo, Egypt for Borden's funeral, and she was given his Bible. She opened the cover and she found these words. No regrets. No reserves. No retreats. No regrets. Friends, this is the fruit of Christian meekness. It's the person who no longer lives for the applause of the world. But lives for God and for others. The second connotation we, we find when we study the, the biblical Greek, the biblical Hebrew, we discover that meekness means strength under control. 
strength under control. The, the meek person is, is someone whose life exhibits a disciplined calmness. The ancient Greeks used this word, praus, to refer to a tamed animal, specifically a war horse, a stallion, a wild stallion that had been broken and tamed and was now a useful tool to serve the empire. A war horse, strength under control. I remember when I was a, a kid junior high, my family was out in Estes Park, Colorado. My, my dad was speaking for Campus Crusade for Christ in the Rocky Mountain National Getaway where students from all over the country gathered at the YMCA of the Rockies for a week. And I was 13 years old, and so I just got to go and hang out and have fun. And during that week, one of the things I did was I signed up for the horseback riding lessons at the ranch there at the YMCA of the Rockies. And I remember the, the first few days of the horseback riding lessons, I was a little bit disappointed because, like, my brother, he got this, like, just this awesome, like, dark black horse called Storm, right? He's riding Storm. And then my cousin, my cousin's riding another awesome horse, Sparky, okay? And, and, and then my dad, when he was able to join us, he's riding this awesome horse called Lightning. I got this old gray mare named Mabel. Not exactly, you know, what a 13-year-old boy is, is looking for when he signs up for horseback riding. And I'm not kidding you, like Mabel, like just nothing fancy about this horse at all. Just this kind of grayish, blotchy pattern. I mean, she just kind of plodded around and, you know, and I'm a first-time horseback rider, so I mean, it's probably good for me, but, you know, I'm just like, come on here. Like, I'm riding Mabel. Everybody else is riding Storm and Sparky, right? Well, we get through the horseback riding lessons. We get to the end of the week, and we go on this big trail ride that they've been, like, pumping up for the whole week, right? They, they've been teaching us how to ride the horse, how to saddle the horse, how to sit on the horse, right? And so we're on this trail ride going through the mountain trails, and it was beautiful, but, like, I'm just, like, I'm at the back of the line, right? Everybody's in front of me. I'm eating their dust, riding on Mabel as she plods around, and all of a sudden, the rangers lead us into this big, open, grassy mountain meadow, and before I know it, the rangers yell out like this loud whoop call. I don't even, I even know how to describe it, but all of a sudden I hear this, woohoo! And the rangers go galloping off, and all of the horses at once in procession take off running down this mountain meadow. And Mabel, Mabel goes from being this weak, docile, tame beast to all of a sudden charging through this meadow. And I'm holding on for dear life like, oh my gosh, what in the world's going on here, right? Like, I discovered that Mabel was anything but boring. Mabel, this, this horse that I thought was this, this boring old mare, quickly revealed herself to be a powerful charging steed. Friends, that's what biblical meekness is. Biblical meekness is strength under control. It's disciplined calmness. It results from being broken. Again, when we're poor in spirit, when we're humbled under Christ, when his spirit and his power begins to work through us, he takes our worldly strength and our worldly gifts and our worldly abilities, and he breaks them down and helps us recognize that we are nothing without him. But then in him, we experience the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. And we become a powerful yet tame tool in the hands of God in service of his kingdom. One of the great examples of this in scripture is the apostle Peter. 
If you remember the Apostle Peter's story, Peter was known for being bold and strong, but Peter was also impulsive and impetuous. You may remember some of the stories in the Gospels of Peter, right? Matthew 14, where where Jesus' disciples are out in the Sea of Galilee. It's, It's at nighttime, and they see Jesus walking on the water towards the boat. And what does Peter do? Peter says, Lord, I want to walk on the water with you. And he jumps out of the boat. And he's walking on the water for all of like one, two seconds. And all of a sudden he realizes, oh my gosh, I'm on the water. And there's waves. And he takes his eyes off Jesus and he begins to sink. Impulsive Peter. We remember the the story, for example, in Matthew 16, where Jesus, for the first time, tells his disciples, I need to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be arrested, and I'm going to be tried, and I'm going to be crucified, and all this has to happen according to the will and plan of God. And Peter says, Lord, no, never let it be. And Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. That was impulsive, impetuous Peter. You may remember the story in John 13 where At the Last Supper, Jesus is washing his disciples' feet. And impulsive Peter says to Jesus, no, 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 Jesus, you're never going to wash my feet. And Jesus says to Peter, Peter, if you don't understand that this is an act of love, an act of service, this is who I am and why I came. Peter, if you don't understand this, you don't understand anything about me. And Peter says to Jesus, well, then, Jesus, not just my feet, wash everything. And Jesus says, Peter, you still don't get it. That was impulsive, impetuous Peter. You you might remember where Matthew 26, Peter says to Jesus, Lord, I would never deny you. And at the night of Jesus' arrest and trials, he denied his Savior three times. You may remember when they came to arrest Jesus, John 18. Peter pulled his sword and chopped off the servant of the high priest, his ear. And Jesus says to Peter, Peter, put your sword away. Bold and strong, yet impulsive and impetuous. However, once Peter was humbled, after he had denied Jesus three times, after Jesus' crucifixion, after his resurrection, we read in John 21 where Jesus comes to Peter. And three times he says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, I do, Lord. And Peter was broken. Peter, do you love me? I do, Lord. He was broken. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I do. Once Peter had been broken, Jesus said to Peter, feed my sheep. And Peter's boldness was harnessed for the sake of the kingdom. And he would help lead a movement that would go on to transform the world. That's strength under control. That's the meekness that Jesus is talking about. The third connotation of of these biblical terms for meek that we see throughout Scripture is meekness also relates to the person who bears a heavy burden. This is the person who faithfully trusts in God's will. And because of their trust in God's will, they gladly shoulder the challenging circumstances that God brings into their lives, especially for the sake of serving others. One of the great examples of this in Scripture is is Moses, the great leader of the Israelites during the Exodus. 
In Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, we read that there was no man with greater meekness on the face of the earth than Moses. What, what does that mean? Well, we look at Moses' life. And in Moses' life, we see a man who submitted himself to the will of God, who trusted God's sovereign plans for his life. And because of his trust in God's sovereignty, he was willing to faithfully love and serve for the sake of others. We, we see this all throughout Moses' life. We see it in his obedience to the Lord, even with all of his doubts and deficiencies. Remember when God first called Moses to lead the people of Israel out of, out of Egypt? You know, Lord, no one's going to follow me. Lord, I, I can't even speak. I, I, I have a stuttering problem, Lord. God said, Moses, I'm going to take care of all that. Just trust me. And then Moses led the people of Israel out of Egypt. And for 40 years, think about this, for 40 years, Moses had to put up with the grumbling, rebellious, idolatrous Israelites. 40 years wandering in the desert with a bunch of grumbling malcontents who continued to rebel against God. And yet Moses faithfully persevered and faithfully served because he trusted God's sovereign plan and that trust overflowed into love and service for others. And even when Moses himself sinned and rebelled against God, and when he faced God's discipline and God said to Moses, Moses, because of your sin, you're not going to get to enter the promised land with the rest of the people. Even in his discipline, Moses submitted to God. And did not argue and did not fight, but accepted that in a spirit of meekness. Because again, he trusted God's sovereign will and plan. That's biblical meekness, friends. The person who bears a heavy burden because they trust God's sovereignty. And as a result of that, they're willing to love and serve others. Some of you know that kind of meekness. Some of you have been carrying heavy burdens for a long time. And yet you trust God in that. And you continue to faithfully love. That's meekness. It can only be produced by Jesus Christ. And so we, we look at all three of these connotations of the biblical Greek, the biblical Hebrew, and, and we come up with this definition. What is biblical meekness? What does Jesus mean when he says, blessed are the meek? What he's getting at here is that the meek person is the man or woman who denies himself or herself in submission to God to share and sacrifice on behalf of others. That's meekness. And so contrary to our world's definition of meek, the biblically meek person is actually a man or woman of great strength. Meek is anything but weak. And furthermore, we can also see that the one who is meek is a person who is truly blessed because they know who they are in Christ, finding, finding themselves broken yet strong and useful for the kingdom and discovering God's pleasure in service to his will and for the sake of others. Yes, friends, blessed are the meek. The, third, the second truth we see about the blessed meek here. This morning we need to recognize that the meek know to seek. The meek know to seek. What do the meek seek? The meek person is the person who desires to grow in meekness 
They're seeking, seeking to follow the way of the master, Jesus Christ. This is the person who desires to grow in meekness. How does that happen? It happens by following our master, Jesus Christ. The meek person is the one who looks to Jesus, the one who said in Matthew 11, 29 through 30, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Yes, friends, the meek person is the one who yokes themselves to Jesus. What, what, what does that term yoke mean? Some of you who maybe grew up, grew up on farms know what a yoke is, but a yoke is this, this heavy wooden beam that goes over the shoulders of the cattle. And, and usually two cattle will be yoked side by side with each other in order to pull the plow. When I was a young kid growing up in the Philippines, my family served as missionaries in the Philippines, the, the Filipino farmers would yoke together two caribou, two water buffalo. And, and they had this interesting technique where they would take an older caribou and they would yoke the older caribou with a younger caribou. And they would yoke the younger caribou to the older caribou because when they were yoked together, the older caribou would actually teach and help the younger caribou understand how to submit to the plow and how to work the rice fields. And, and so they would yoke the young with the old so that it could learn from its example. And in the very same way, friends, when we yoke ourselves to Jesus, we learn what it is to be gentle or meek from the one who lived this out perfectly. The Apostle John in 1 John 2, 6 tells us that we are called to walk as Jesus walked. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so to grow in meekness, what we need to do is we need to follow the lead of Jesus. We need to look to his example. And how did Jesus live out meekness, friends? Well, he was the perfect incarnation of meekness. He was meek in this sense. He was both a lamb and a lion in his meekness. I want you to listen how Pastor Kent Hughes describes the meekness of Jesus in his commentary on Matthew. He says it better than I could. He says this, In respect to his own person, Jesus practiced neither retaliation nor vindictiveness. When he was mocked and spat upon, he answered nothing, for he trusted his Father. As we have noted, when he was confronted by Pilate, he kept silent. When his friends betrayed him and fled, he uttered no reproach. When Peter denied him, Jesus restored him to fellowship and service. When Judas came and kissed him in Gethsemane, Jesus called him friend, and Jesus meant it. He was never insincere. Even in the throes of death, he pleaded, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. In all of this, Jesus, meek and mild, was in control. He radiated power. Yet when it came to matters of faith and the welfare of others, Jesus was a lion. He rebuked the Pharisees' hardness of heart when he healed the man's withered hand on the Sabbath. He was angered when his disciples tried to prevent little children from coming to him. Jesus made a whip and drove out the money changers from the temple. He called Peter Satan after the outspoken fisherman tried to deter him from his heavenly mission. All of this came from Jesus. The incarnation of gentleness. Friends, what does it look like to follow Jesus in meekness? 
Let me suggest three applications. Number one, we should see our lives increasingly characterized by a spirit of gentleness towards others. A gentleness that flows from our trust in God. Number two, we should be people known for the strength of our character. Exhibiting self-control, selfless love for others, and seeking peace and reconciliation in our relationships with our fellow man. And third, we should be people who boldly stand in defense of others and God's timeless absolute truth. Voices who speak against injustice and vigorous apologists who contend earnestly for the faith once for all entrusted to the saints. That's the meekness of Jesus. It's like my, one of my former pastors, Dave Johnson, described it, the raging meekness of Jesus. One of my favorite examples of this, another great hero of the faith, is Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the famous 20th century pastor and theologian who stood against Nazi oppression in Germany. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was a lamb in respect to his own person, meek and gentle, yet when it came to protecting others and defending the truth, he was bold as a lion. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his early ministry advocated pacifism and Christian nonviolence. When, when Nazi Germany rose to power and, and the churches in Germany all started succumbing to the Nazi regime and, and being co-opted by the Nazis, even trying to justify what the Nazis were doing scripturally, claiming it was a work of the Spirit, that Hitler was even the incarnation of Christ, Bonhoeffer boldly stood in opposition and helped found the underground confessing church in Germany. As the years went on and Hitler's atrocities became more and more apparent, Bonhoeffer joined the underground resistance movement in Germany, helping to smuggle Jews out of Germany to safety, even participating in a coup, a plot to kill Hitler. Because Bonhoeffer recognized that he could not sit idly by as this evil grew and spread and destroyed his country and potentially his world. Bonhoeffer once wrote, we are not to simply bandage the wounds of victims beneath the wheels of injustice. We are to drive a spoke into the wheel itself. The raging meekness of Jesus. A lamb when it comes to our relationships with others. We do not live in retaliation against those who insult us, but when it comes to others' welfare, for the sake of the truth, we are bold as lions. That's biblical meekness, friends. The third truth about biblical meekness that we need to understand this morning is that the meek are the ones who ultimately reach the peak. Jesus says here in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Friends, the reality is we might live in a world of sin and injustice today, and the Lord has not promised us as the church victory in this age. But he has promised that a new day is coming. And he has pledged the earth to those who trust in him and follow in the way of meekness. The Bible tells us that through faith in Jesus, we become children of God and heirs with Christ. Paul says in Romans 8, 16 through 18, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. We are children of God. 
And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Friends, as heirs, we will inherit the earth. But even more than that, the Lord tells us that we will judge the world, ruling over the earth with his authority. Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6. Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Jesus, in Revelations 2, 26-27, Jesus says to the church, the one who conquers and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself has received authority from the Father. In Revelation 5, 9 through 10, we read about the attendance in the throne room of heaven. And we read how everyone who trusts Christ walking in meekness today will reign over the earth. We, we read that they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, for every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign over the earth. Friends, when we understand these incredible promises from our Lord, it should inspire us all the more to live obediently pursuing meekness in our lives today because God has promised that those who follow in meekness will inherit the earth. When I speak about pursuing meekness, friends, I'm not talking about this idea that we can garner this meekness for ourselves. Again, we can't earn this. We can't produce it by our own efforts. This meekness comes solely through pursuing Jesus. It comes through his spirit working in us, increasingly transforming us to look like him, molding us into Jesus' people. This is the hope that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ, his transforming power in our lives. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, those who recognize that apart from God they have nothing. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, those who see and weep over the ugliness of their sin, crying out to God for mercy. Jesus says, blessed are the meek, those who long to look and live like Jesus. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They shall be comforted. They shall inherit the earth. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you once again for your word and your promises. And Jesus, we pray that you would continue to do a work in our lives, that we might walk and follow you in a spirit of humility and meekness, and that in that you might mold us more and more into your image. That's our heart's desire, Lord, to, to be conformed into Jesus' people. And Lord, I just pray that you would help us to, to do this, Lord, to, to, to grow in this spirit of meekness so that we might sh strip ourselves of our self-centeredness and our pride, that we might be freed to love and serve others, that we might be able to grow into the likeness of you, Lord, the one who is the perfect example of meekness, gentle as a lamb, but often raging as a lion against injustice and unrighteousness.
Lord, we want to look like you. We want to live like you. And so we need your spirit to help us in this. And so, Lord, continue to humble our hearts before you. Continue to mold us and shape us. And again, Lord, may the world see a better way through us as we seek to follow you in the spirit of meekness. In your great name we pray. Amen. Friends, would you please stand and join us for our benediction this morning? Comes from the book of Hebrews, chapter 13. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you, friends, and have a great week.